Studs, and my guest this week is Alex Deegan. His new book from the wonderful Koyama Press is Mighty Star and the Castle of the... Now I'm going to totally mispronounce this. <laughs> Kinkatervader? Kinkatervader? Uh, you know, it's not even really a real word. <laughs> you don't have to be too hard on yourself about that. How... What's the etymology of this word? I don't know. I think it's one of those... It's just one of those weird, obsolete... Latin words like the concatervate is to just heap stuff on top of each other. <laughs> it's a it's a pretty stupid thing to choose as the title of your book, but I did, and here we are. That makes a ton of sense, though. Yeah, you know, like the concatervator himself is a pile of stuff. So yeah, oh, I like that. That's that's uh, that's witty. Um, Thanks. <laughs> did that sound? I'm sorry, that sound patriotic. <laughs> that sounded totally sarcastic. <laughs> It wasn't. It, it, it wasn't. I'm sorry. Uh, for listeners at home, I'm not trying to patronize Alex. He, he's a very smart young man. Um, <laughs> I had to say young man. I know. I'm such a prick. Um, so tell, let's talk a little bit about kind of your background going into this book. Um, I read a bunch of your stuff that you sent me, a bunch of PDFs, and then you have uh, some other stuff floating around. Um What's your kind of entryway into comics? You know, I didn't even really start making comics until I was about 26, which is surprisingly like seven years ago at this point. Oh, wow. <laughs> I just did the math in my head, and that's horrible. Yeah, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I always liked comics, but uh, for some reason it took a long time for me to get down to actually making them. What, I think, yeah. What kind of what were you doing before then? Like, what was your kind of? Did you go to college? Did you have a particular oh, interest yeah, yeah, in something? Yeah. I I went to college when I was eighteen, like people normally do, and then dropped out after about a year and a half, and then was just kind of bumming around, living in different places, working shitty jobs or whatever, 
And then when I was about 24, I went back to school and was studying Japanese. And then I got into a program in a Japanese school. So I went to Japan when I was 25. And that's actually where I started making comics. I mean, I, I always was drawing the whole time, but uh, I don't know, man. I've been thinking about this recently just because, like, I think I had that weird perfectionist curse thing. Well, like, I've never been a perfectionist in my art ever, but just kind of, you get lost in that gap between you know what you like and then you see what you're capable of. <laughs> I think if I, I think I was just telling myself that it was okay to not try to make anything because one day I'd get good enough to make something. And then I uh, got sick of waiting and just started making bad stuff. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, and when I, when I got to Japan through uh, weird connection, through friend of a friend of a friend, a good friend of mine from when I was in high school was actually a Japanese guy who was an exchange student here. And uh, when I went to Japan, he lives in uh, Nagoya, but I was living in Tokyo. So he introduced me to one of his friends who was sharing this giant studio with like six other people. And four of them were in this comics collective. They were all like five, ten years older than me. It's this uh, comics collective that still exists. It's called Mash Comics. I think they're still. I think we're still active. I think I'm still in. It was like the Bloods or Crips. You just you can never actually leave. (laughs) No, seriously. It it had like a rotating roster of like we would do projects and stuff, and there would always be new people there. And I'd be like, "Who are these people?" Like, yeah, Mash has like forty members. It was uh, you know, the 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 Tokyo Art School. They had all started this collective when they were like in college and they were all people who liked comics, but they were all studying other stuff like design and whatnot. So it was almost like this extracurricular club that they continued for like 10 years, 15 years after they got out of college. And, uh, I made my friend hero introduced me to my friend Gunji. And then Gunji was like, Oh, you draw comics type stuff. Do you want to be, (laughs) do you want to be in our group? And I was like, sure. And, uh, yeah, put out a book every two years. So it was like an anthology, like a themed anthology or... (laughs) Yeah, it was a themed anthology, but it was funny because like they had been doing themed anthologies for straight up 15 years. So the themes just kept kept getting weirder and weirder. And, you know, I had just gotten to Japan and my Japanese, I was studying Japanese. So my Japanese was pretty good, but like, I don't know that the first themed anthology, <laughs> the theme was uh, Rando Seru, which is uh, hyper specific. It's the kind of backpacks that uh, elementary school kids wear <laughs> in Japan. <laughs> and they were like, that's the theme. And it was actually the book had like a fake leather cover to look like a backpack. So it was kind of like, you know, nostalgia or whatever. But it was just so culturally specific that I was like, the hell am I going to do with this theme? I've, I never wore one of those. I don't know what this is. <laughs> but yeah, that, that, that group was actually really cool. That, so, you know, the first comic that I ever completed was for an anthology for them maybe in about 2007. And that was the one about the backpack? <laughs> yeah, actually, it was funny because then I was freaking out because it was the first comic that I was ever doing that was actually going to be published. And I said to my friend Teru, I was like, I don't know anything about these backpacks. I don't know. And he was like, you know, 90% of the people are going to ignore the theme. Just do whatever. And so I did. <laughs> and it was okay. But it, it was funny. That that group, I think, you know, a lot of them are older now and they have kids and stuff and real serious careers. So they don't, 
the group doesn't do that much stuff as much, but we were doing a lot of like weird commercial work. There's a cell phone company called AU and we made a, like a, not emojis, but some kind of weird type sticker thing for their phones. And uh, we do a bunch of design. There was a magazine called Topion. It still exists, I think, in America and Europe. But the Japanese one went under. Really? And we had a monthly comic in Tokion, Mazmash Comics. That you know, and you know, there's 50 of us, so we would trade off a bunch, and the six people would work on a comic at the same time. And we did that for about two years. And uh, you know. A lot of the people who were in that collective have gone on to do crazy stuff. Though I'm about to say that, and I don't know if any non-Japanese people would know their stuff, but uh, my friend Gunji directs a lot of music videos. My friend Yo does children's books. Uh, oh, yeah, there's this guy, <laughs> Tomato Fantasista. Everybody's got crazy nom de plumes as well, and more than one, so it's really obnoxious. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, yeah, my friend Koji... Utamaro, if you will. I see him on Tumblr all the time for fashion stuff, and he was actually one of the directors of a Pharrell video that came out maybe last summer, the one with uh, Murakami Takeshi. Oh, crazy. So, yeah, so those dudes are all doing a bunch of stuff. That's kind of like Meat House a bit. Yeah, kind of. Because, like, those guys also, while they were doing that, would do, like, commercial stuff and collaborate on commercial stuff. Um and then, like, kind of come out of it with their own, you know, particular unique voice. And we all know what happened to James Jean. And, yeah. You know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. I think all of the people who were in MASH... Oh, <laughs> I got another... My friend Hogari does uh, sexy action figures of, like, Street Fighter characters <laughs> and stuff that I see all the time on, like, video game websites. But, yeah, that, the thing about MASH is a lot of those people went on to become, like, art directors who kind of don't even really make stuff anymore. Last time I was hanging out with them as a group, they were all acting really jealous and nostalgic because I was showing them a comic that I just made. <laughs> it was the first comic I printed in America, the uh, Area CC that I did with Snake Bomb. And they were like, oh, I remember sitting sitting at a desk all night and drawing a weird black and white comic. You know, like they got real nostalgic about it. So yeah, so that's when I started doing comics because... I found myself in this group, and they're like, we're doing a comic. You should do one. <laughs> so did you, what was, like, were you going there for school? Were you going there to work? I was going there for school, but I ended up, you know, working and being there. Yeah. I was there, I was studying Japanese language and also studying, uh, Christ, I don't even know what to say. I was studying literature at first, but then it changed to religion in a very broad way. Like Shinto or? No, uh, more specifically Buddhism, but I was going to a Jesuit school, so it was really weird because I was studying under <laughs> my main religious teacher was a Jesuit priest who was so well versed in Buddhism that he was an honorary <laughs> he was an honorary abbot at some temple, and uh, I actually learned to read Hebrew from him while wow. in Japan. It's you know, so I was he was of the mind that. To be able to really understand things on a certain level, on a doctrinal level, you have to be able to read sort of early writings of it. So I was living in Japan, and at one point I was studying things like uh, Kanbun, which is the uh, the old Japanese way of reading Chinese, if that makes any sense. Japanese scholars used to, the literary language was written in Chinese word order and grammar, but had a key to read it so it would make sense in Japanese. 
So I, for a while, had that totally unnecessary skill. I've forgotten all that. I've learned to re read a little Sanskrit too, which I also immediately forgot. But <laughs> that's kind of amazing, though, just to kind of take all these different things, and that's a breadth of uh, of research. <laughs> yeah, but now I draw comics. And it has nothing <laughs> to do with well, it's funny though because, like, when I was looking through your comics, one of the I wrote down like just a scroll of notes. So one of the things I was thinking about was um, kind of um, early creationist myths and stuff. And I figured <laughs> that may come through there in some of that research you were doing. Yeah, that's something I've always I've always been interested in in religious cosmologies. Just you know, not as necessarily a believer, but just as sort of an expression mm -hmm. of of living in the world. You know, I. Yeah, I, I think there definitely is that in a lot of my work. Is there anything particular that you've kind of studied, come across, that stuck out to you? Oh, God, I always like the really weird crypto side of things, always the strange mysticism. Yeah. That, I don't even know how to articulate this, but you know how lots of times so much about religion is about making a very airtight explanation of things but usually within religions you you know there's the esoteric teachings in buddhism there's gnosticism in christianity and rosicrucianism and alchemy and that whole world you know there's Kabbalah, judaism there's tons of mystery sects in hinduism you know there's always a religious propensity to look at things through <laughs> Not to explain them in a very clean way, but to further expand on expressing the mystery of being alive, I guess. <laughs> That's always what's been the most interesting thing to me about it. You know, like, right, uh, when I was in high school, I read the ep Epic of Gilgamesh, and... Uh, that's mainly a book about death and not really understanding what death is. And the main character gets no, like, you know, the main character of an epic who's half-god it's no easy answer about what death is at all, <laughs> you know, like, so that's, yeah, that's always been my interest maybe in, in religious things as, as an expression of, of the infinite and the ununderstandable that can maybe be the fact that you can understand it and the depth to which it goes is expressible, but the fullness of the thing is not expressible. If that makes sense. I don't know if that sentence made any sense. Like but, uh, a, no, you're you're kind of making sense. Um, <laughs> if I'm making halfway sense, I'm happy. I, I think so. I uh, and maybe, maybe that's one of the things that strikes me about your work is that, um, I mean they're very action packed, but there's a lot unsaid. There's a lot. <laughs> well, you kind of worthless. I mean. <laughs> Oh jeez, I didn't even want to go. I wasn't intending to make that pun. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but but you know what I mean. Like it, you're you're making things um, open. Like you're allowing the reader to make connections, make their own conclusions. Yeah, um, that's that's kind of always been the art that I like. You know, I don't know. <laughs> um, with that, one of the things I'm wondering about because I'm mean, here. You go. You're you're a really knowledgeable guy um <laughs> and you do have some that have words like the the accompaniment uh mini comic you did for 
for Mighty Star. Um, oh yeah, the philosopher. Yeah, and and it, it's extremely well written, and I'm interested about that that kind of dynamic between the two because you you, you are a very good writer, but you decide not to utilize that. <laughs> I don't really know why I started doing wordless comics. When I was doing comics in Japan, I always put words in them, uh, and which was easy because, you know, it's perfectly acceptable to drop, <laughs> to computer drop words into word balloons in Japan. Uh, I don't know why I started doing wordless comics, but... I, I like I like that freedom, and I also like the freedom of uh, of leaving things open that the audience can kind of you know like if you read a poem half the time the whole context for what's going on is not at all explained and you have to put it together through context clues right yeah in ideally especially with short comics if you don't put words in them at all you can ex. Uh, I guess whatever you mean and whatever the nature of the world that you're making is can be extrapolated through uh, through what few details exist there, <laughs> you know, ideally. But, you know, that's I understand that there's lots of times I've shown my work to people and I've seen them immediately not be in it. I can understand if someone is like, doesn't feel that that's giving them enough to actually read it or feel like they're engaged in reading it that's that's fine i mean it's asking a lot of a person for them to read it slow and really not think about it more than if there were words but they actually have to uh there's less landmarks to show you around narratively i guess yeah and that's one of the really interesting things about your work is that you don't you kind of don't let up (laughs) what do you mean like it keeps going, it keeps going, it keeps going. Shit's still happening, and there's there's, there's very few like pauses. You know, you're not gonna have like you know like in a movie's thing. Like, okay, let's just stop and look across the desert. You know, <laughs> you know? like in that desert, something's gonna happen to that guy, and then something's gonna happen there. You know, I was thinking about that because I was I was interviewed by uh, Darling Sleeper that website and. Mm-hmm. I found, you know, it was a written interview, so I was I was writing my answers, and he was asking me about how I, how I like approach making a comic, and I wrote this really boring answer that I was like, I usually think about how long it's going to be, you know, <laughs> which is like, <laughs> once I have the number of pages, and as I was writing, it, I was like, this is fucking boring. Oh, I'm allowed to curse, right? It's a podcast. Yes. You can so say said, whatever you want to a certain parameter before I go, okay, you're, you're, you're pulling a Brendan McCarthy and we need to take down your Facebook page. You can't make references to things we were talking about before you started recording. You're going to leave the audience out of it. Yeah, I know. That was terrible. I'm sorry, guys. Anyway, so I was looking at my answer to this question. I was like, wow, this is really boring because I'm literally saying one of the main things I think about is the length of the comic. But... When I first started doing comics pretty seriously, they were all for anthologies. And most of the time people would say, you know, okay, give me 12 pages or something. And then I'd really have to think about it. And I was like, okay, this has to happen. This has to happen. And this has to happen, especially if there's no words. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, half the time I was thinking about pacing and making something based on the amount of pages, which I guess because of my personality and because there was no words in the work, I, I didn't ever feel like I could let up and make something that was quiet in the sense of 
not having action, but hopefully I'll make longer stuff that has more uh, <laughs> more places where the rear can catch their breath. Hopefully, I mean, it's something for me. Like as a reader, like if the action's going like that, I just keep going, going, going with it. Where I'm probably <laughs> not taking that time to kind of think about what's going on. Um, yeah, I find myself like when I'm reading a book that I really like, sometimes I find myself like spacing out and reading for way too long, usually at night. And then I look at the clock and it's like the, you know, four in the morning. When I'm really into something, I kind of. Did you ever read uh, Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy? No. Yeah, no, it's not for everyone. But uh, <laughs> it's, I don't it, read enough books, I do too, read too many comics. Yeah, well, it, it, it is so relentless and in sometimes really horrible mm -hmm. that it was just that book especially has this crazy pace that just keeps going. And then I, you know, every time I've read that book, I find myself like reading 60 pages at a time just because you're like, ah, half of what's going it's, It takes place in the Old West and it's totally uh, unromanticized and it's kind of just about total depravity and killing of people. Uh, but it, it, it's written almost in like weird, half biblical, half like nineteenth-century language, almost like Moby Dick. Yeah. But it's just these these the action is so relentless and so continuous that you can just find yourself reading it for so long, and you're like, ah, yeah, I don't know why I brought that up, but yeah, <laughs> your own experience being pulled into something. Yeah. Especially that, because that book, so many terrible things happen, and you're just witness to it for so long, and you're just like, oh, God. <laughs> then can you sleep okay after you've gone through all that horribleness? <laughs> yeah, because it's five in the morning, and you're like, I need to go to sleep. <laughs> now, what were some of your comic influences? Um, were you taking a lot from what you're seeing in Japan when you're starting yeah, out? I think so. I mean... I feel like for 10 years, I mainly only read Japanese comics. Wow. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't know. My influences are really weird. I don't even know if I'm fully aware of my own influences. I saw maybe like last year, I saw for really cheap a Spy versus Spy, like giant omnibus. And I, you know, Spy versus Spy, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Antonio Pejeres. Is that how you pronounce it? I, I mean, probably got it way off. But it's like Prohias or something. I don't know yeah. how to, I never knew how to pronounce it. I I can't pronounce it. Don't worry. Okay. Well, I bought I bought this Spy versus Spy Omnibus and I was looking at it and I was like, huh, he draws dudes with like heeled boots. I always do that. He draws knives a certain way. That's exactly how I draw knives. He draws faces and bodies and coats. And I was like, so much of my style is, is spy versus spy. And I felt like I hadn't looked at it in like 20 years or something. And I was like, oh my God, did I internalize? Because I, I loved spy versus spy when I was a kid. I was just really freaked out that I was looking at it. And I was like, wow, I guess this was a major influence on my artwork. And I never even <laughs> thought about it. One of the things I was thinking about uh, was Matt Thurber's stuff. Oh, I love Matt Thurber's stuff, yeah. Yeah, and it seems to filter him and like it's funny because we were talking about this before the interview uh al columbia's stuff oh you mean his influence on my stuff yeah oh uh you know what i didn't really even see thurber's stuff until 100 mice came out 
Oh, really? Okay. Three years or something. I, I absolutely love his work. His new thing is really awesome, too. Have you seen that? Not yet, no. I don't remember what it's called. It's a kind of about the art world in New York. It's really it probably makes sense. <laughs> yeah. You know, he uh, does like a, an art gallery performance space weirdo. Yeah, I still haven't gone there, even though I've been meaning to. I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> I've heard it's like in the middle of nowhere, or at least like not close to everything else. Yeah, I guess in New York, that's so relative, though. I mean, <laughs> it's so funny when you're in New York that someone would be like, like, oh, I live in Harlem, you want to go there? And you're like, no. That's, <laughs> wait, that's a 20-minute train ride? It's yeah. like... I'm going to go so, back to the place I'm staying in Brooklyn that's an hour and a half away. Yeah. The train goes every three hours. It's it's it, Yeah, it's so relative in New York. So honestly, I feel bad. I haven't gone to Tomato House, which is Thurber's place, just because it seems far away. But, the you know, it absolutely is not far away from anything. Just being punk about it. Yeah. I, I also absolutely love Al Columbia, uh, especially the... Uh, I don't even know what to call it. The, the the early stuff that I don't even know if I've ever seen it collected in places. the biologic show stuff. Yeah, maybe it was post biologic show is is kind of the rougher pen stuff. I like that a lot. But the stuff that's painted that looks like oh, okay, early, like in, like in early, zero zero. Yeah, and zero zero and blab. That stuff is my favorite. It looks like uh you know Fleischer cartoons, which I also have always loved. Those like uh. Betty Boop and Coco the Clown and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I was obsessed with those when I was a kid. They're all fantastic things. Yeah. So yeah, I I, I guess that could be. It. <laughs> I don't know. I also one of the things I was thinking about, especially with Al, is um, how you kind of take these like innocent looking things and stick them into like horrible situations. <laughs> I think my stuff is a lot less vicious and scary than his, though. <laughs> like, oh, very well. Is I'll, but you know you're I'll not. Love this stuff is really like a crazy nightmare scape. I mean, uh, I feel like my characters have a, a better odds of getting out of it alive. <laughs> hopefully, I mean the worlds that I usually put characters in are pretty fucking terrible. But uh, I don't know. You read that comic After Party, right? Yeah, that was the first thing that I ever published in America. I did that with Snake Bomb. That was in Snake Bomb Two. Okay, and. Uh, <laughs> I, I I think you know for if most of your listeners probably haven't seen it, but it's it's basically the the blown up remains of a party where people seem to have partied themselves to death <laughs> and kind of like fucked to death. And there's like motorcycles and like overturned drinks and stuff, and it's kind of like two survivors of the party looking for each other. Obviously, they seem like they've gotten ill-treated in it and they kind of are walking through this burning place and it's kind of you know I, I thought it was a love story and i thought it was a kind of a happy ending but uh, i only bring this up because i was talking about how scary the world that al columbia stuff takes place in. after i made that comic i showed it to my girlfriend at the time and i was like oh yeah i made this comic and the, you know i was thinking of you and i drew the girl in it and then she was like God, the world the world that this takes place in is really terrible. Like, is that how you see the world? And I was like, Yeah, kind of. And she was like <laughs> she was that's terrible. I'm really, you know, you got a really scary take on things. And I was like, Oh, I thought this was sweet. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, whatever. That relationship ended. 
Um, one of the things I was just looking through your blog and you're talking about posting up more propaganda and I'm curious about how you see kind of that kind of government system stuff in your work oh yeah I mean <laughs> that that propaganda thing that's that's from what I'm currently working on mm-hmm. and that that comic is literally about propaganda that that chapter of that comic I don't know I try to <laughs> <laughs> I try to put huh yeah I try to put like uh, the good stuff and the bad stuff about being alive in my work <laughs> <laughs> that includes all the really sad and horrible things in the world one of which is propaganda I mean that <laughs> that that chapter is a, a, that's from uh, this color comic that I'm working on called Mine Hunters which actually a version of it came out uh, two years ago at this point, I guess. My friend Josh Burgraff, who it makes cool comics and is also publishes cool comics. He did the Future Shock anthology, if you ever saw that. He, uh, he put out that book because he had access to a really cheap color printer, which mm-hmm. since we've lost, so that was like 45 pages. Now I'm trying to expand it to a giant book. So that propaganda thing you saw on the blog that's from uh from a chapter of that and that chapter is literally <laughs> about uh uh kind of like a bombed out city where at the very center of it is a recruitment machine for war <laughs> basically but the city is destroyed and whatever war happened probably happened a long time ago and was lost you know and then there are people living in the city and the way these two people live is by uh, suckering travelers or strangers into getting sucked into the recruitment machine so they can steal their stuff. So that, that propaganda image is literally, uh, is literally something that one of the main characters has shown to be kind of brainwashed and becoming a soldier. And the second part of that image is a literal ripoff of uh, Kiyochika Kobayashi who, I wonder what you'd call him. Maybe a Shin Hanga. He was a Japanese painter uh, during whenever the Russo-Japanese War was at the end of the 19th century. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He did a painting of... of uh, 1908, I think, was the last one. Okay, yeah, so beginning of the... Yeah. So, he, so that's from a painting of a bunch of soldiers shooting people up on a ridge and I stole that composition and I put it in that propaganda image. <laughs> it worked well. Thank you. Now, uh, let's talk about the, the book itself, The Mighty Star. Um, that one, did you have big intentions when you started? Because you say how you kind of work in a story of like looking at how long it is. And you'd done, you know, like, I'm figuring Area CC was what, 20 pages, maybe? No, that was about 42. Oh, wow. Okay. It's funny because everyone, you're not alone. Everybody always says, like, well, how long was that? That was really short, right? So people have memories of it being really short, which maybe is a good thing. I don't know. I haven't but, looked. Uh, I, I moved recently, and so it's in a box, under a box, in another box, and I haven't looked at it since Well, maybe I saw it Jack, at years next- ago. Next time, maybe it will have grown since then. Maybe it'll be like 60 pages from being in all those boxes. <laughs> but uh, eat other comics. 
<laughs> God, that would be great to make a comic that uh, at first was really short, but once people put it on their shelves, it just starts consuming them and becomes a masterwork. I, I like that idea. You kind of choose the books you want it to absorb. <laughs> oh, and then and then you can change how it turns out, almost like all the influences. Yeah, yeah. You'll put it next to a Rob Liefeld comic, and all of a sudden the character will have like no feet and pouches and. Dude, Robin, edit this part out of the podcast. Let's let's kickstart this uh, book eating. <laughs> let's do this. <laughs> Cut it out. Don't let anyone steal our idea, or just. <gasps> Or just send the file to yourself in an envelope so we have a, a copy <laughs> on. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. I'm, uh, yes! To get back to your question before I went on that stupid <laughs> end. Uh, actually, Mighty Star... <laughs> I didn't... Mighty Star actually I thought was going to be 45 pages as well. Uh, I thought it was just going to be three 15-page chapter and I just make something really short and quick mm-hmm. but uh the very first chapter of mighty star was actually in this self-published portuguese anthology called loda chow i believe is how you pronounce that <laughs> which rudolfo de silva put out and uh then i put it up on study group with zach soto mm-hmm. and when i saw that it went up on study group and again, back to the length of pages thing, if you're putting it on the internet, you don't have to worry about hitting a certain, you know, amount of pages because literally you're cramming it into an anthology. Mm-hmm. It, it just naturally grew from there. And while I was working on it, I was like, yeah, I, I would like to make this pretty long. So in the end, it's like 172 pages, <laughs> whereas I thought it would be 45. One of, the also- ni- one of the nice things about putting it on a study group is the fact because of the way they do it, you don't there is no constraints yeah which I absolutely really appreciate sorry i interrupted you no 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 i that's that's a good point i agree and that's that was cool because i actually had never thought about that before i mean i would prefer not to read things on the computer but mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a great way to do it and as someone making comics you know it's nice to be able to have that space where you can send people to and they can read not only your comic but other cool stuff they have up there but yeah, so I started working on that, and uh, then I worked on it for six months, or <laughs> I thought I'd work on it for three months, and it got more complicated because I had more complicated ideas to put in it instead of it just being, uh, you know, initially I wanted to do something really stripped down and make it feel like an, I don't know, like a really just usual kind of like caper, like if you read Adam Astro Boy, the Tezuka comic, mm-hmm. there are a lot that have really crazy themes and really complicated stories. And then there's a lot in between that I wouldn't call filler because they're not filler. They're actually really awesome, but they're just comics that are like 10 pages long where a lot happens really quick and it's over. <laughs> you know, so it's just kind of like someone's stealing a bunch of stuff. One of the guys looked like a fish. They live underwater. Okay, I'm going underwater. Now I fought the fish, guys. Now I rescued this guy. It's over. You know, and you're just kind of like, oh, cool. So I kind of wanted to do some, just kind of a formalistic thing like that. And then uh, I worked on it and liked doing it, so I expanded it. Did you do each chapter kind of, you figure out, because I, I read a little bit of that uh, Darling Sleeper interview. Um and you're talking about how you just kind of 
can't remember what you said now. <laughs> it was not too long ago I read it. Uh, we talked about what you want to get into it. Um, did you kind of plot out the, the, the points and improvise in between? Or? Yeah, I had a few major points. Uh, I had actually, had, when I started Mighty Star, I had a totally different idea of what the sort of dramatic beats would be and after I did the second chapter and it went up on study group I said you know after I thought about expanding it I, I planned out all of the major story beats but uh yeah a lot of the stuff in between is pretty much improvised on the spot or in the day that I'm working on it mm-hmm. and because I work that way usually when I'm working on a page the next page starts changing <laughs> in my mind based on what choices I'm making. So, which is also weird because lots of times I try to make things double back and call back to earlier parts of it. Mm-hmm. So lots of times I'm re-looking at what I did while I do it. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, do you find yourself stuck with like hanging threads? Uh, not really because I think I'm pretty obsessive, so I I usually try to <laughs> not have hanging threads. But that said, I sent you <laughs> I sent you the comic the short comic collection called Six Six Short Comics. Mm-hmm. And after I printed that <laughs> actually my friend Ben Erkowitz printed that on his school computer. <laughs> I figured out that there was five short comics in the thing called Six Short Comics. <laughs> And almost nobody said anything about it, which was awesome. I and think then, we like, can't uh, count. <laughs> I guess I was counting the cover as a short comic, maybe? I have no idea. I honestly didn't even think about it until after it was printed. I was like, huh, huh. So, yeah, I'm saying I don't leave hanging threads, but I probably do. <laughs> you probably name things oddly. Yeah. Now, it's um, beyond the simple tale of of muddy star um you do some kind of uh touch on different kind of visual ideas and i'm really curious of like what you think the background of this character going to because it seems like you obviously have a lot of things in mind with him oh well Um, he's not just like an astro boy trope (laughs) well i was thinking about i mean the uh the back cover of the mighty star book says something to the extent of like in a world where advanced philosophy and man coexist, which is kind of stolen from Astro Boy, where it's like in a world where man and advanced technology coexist. I was thinking about like, uh, you know, like the main sci-fi conceit, science fiction and whatnot, where machinery and technology is kind of a sublimation of everything good and bad about people. And, you know, it always turns into these sort of for good and for bad things where it's not about technology. It's sort of about the human experience and human drives, mortality, good and bad things, politics, you know, and I was thinking about, it's funny if you read posts in or even before the enlightenment, going all the way back to the Greeks, it's weird that philosophy is talked about as a generalized thing. That's almost like half science, half magic. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about making sort of like a science fiction story, but instead of, it being about technology, it being about philosophy. <laughs> and then, you know, the sort of spoiler alert for your listeners who might not have read it yet, uh, the world 
that the the sort of apple head in that thing makes is is kind of a direct reference to <laughs> not a direct reference, but kind of thinking about like uh, Plato's Republic, a kind of there so many philosophers you read their end position and their end point seems to be talking about some kind of fascist state where they'll be in charge. Mm-hmm. You know? So I was just thinking about so the the world in Mighty Star is kind of based on philosophy in the same way that science fiction stories based on technology. And then Mighty Star has this weird backstory where he is kind of you know I, I never really read superhero comics, but I read a lot of the old Shazam reprints. Yeah. And it was always weird to me that Shazam was basically a vessel for God. I mean, they weren't... The, what's the name of the old man who Shazam... Oh, God, I can't remember. He basically looks like the way God looks in, like, Birth of Man. You know, it's yeah. Like, so I always thought that was really weird that instead of him being, like, uh, you know, like Superman who just happens to be strong and is a good guy. He almost has this, he serves kind of this weird cosmic thing, you know? So I was thinking that if Mighty Star is in this world, that's all about, you know, philosophy and whatnot. He kind of gets his power from a beautiful and sort of primal place, specifically from like this goddess or three goddesses or whatever. Yeah, I'm actually really particularly interested in, in the three goddess things that visit him. Well, I was thinking, you know, you know, you ever looked at those old sculptures like Hecate or Trivia, the sort of like Greek mm-hmm. kind of uh, um, a mystery goddess. Uh, it's usually of crossroads and some people say witchcraft and whatnot. Sometimes yeah. there's a lot of goddesses, even in the Nor- Norse mythology, who are like three people at once, usually a uh, young woman, middle aged woman and an old woman. So I was just thinking that. Yeah, <laughs> I designed them, and uh, yeah, I also wanted to make them sort of like beautiful and also kind of strange and scary in the same way that the gods are talked about in a in maybe pre-Christian mythologies, where you don't necessarily know gods as having some sort of intelligence that seems like a human intelligence. It almost seems like some kind of unknowing natural force. So, yeah. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Um, at what point in the doing the work, you know, updating, doing new updates, setting it to, to study group, um, did you know it was going to be a book? Like, did it change what direction the book, the, the comic no, was No, I was, I was on the second, I had just finished the second to last chapter and was already working on the last chapter when I talked to Annie about it. Okay. I think, if I'm re- remembering correctly, I think it was basically almost done at that point. So, no, making it into a book didn't change anything about the initial body of the comic, but uh, because it was going to be a book and it had already been on the internet, I made like that uh, prologue and epilogue chapter just so people buying the book would have something sizable if they had already read it, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the only thing it changed is I did two more chapters, <laughs> but I didn't change anything about the body of the book itself. I want to know more about the. Uh, now I'm going to totally mispronounce his name again. The uh, can 
Concatenator. Yeah, there we go. Sorry. Yeah, I almost don't want to over-explain okay. <laughs> No, no, no. I'll, I'll do a little bit. I'm not doing this to be coy. It's just uh, I, 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 I'm not trying to be withholding. And I just like when people have their own takes on it, which yeah, they always I, do. I get what you're saying. But uh, yeah, I was just thinking that. So that philosopher character kind of. <laughs> the fake philosopher? The fake philosopher. He, he exists in this sort of vague trash heap of the past you know like i don't know that's really you read the philosopher comic yeah. that was kind of one of the main parts of it but uh i was just thinking christ yeah i don't want to be so pretentious that your listeners will get angry at me but uh <laughs> if, if, I, I would be very surprised if people got angry at a at a comics podcast <laughs> Well, I would be impressed, probably. There's a there's. You ever read the 18th Brumaire of Louis Napoleon by Karl Marx? <laughs> no, no, I have not, Alex. Well, there's this. Uh, there's a bunch of famous quotes from that that people always use. He says, like, I'm, this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but if you hear this, you might recognize it. He says that things in history always speak twice: first as tragedy, second as farce. Yeah. I think Slavo Žižek had a book called that. Anyway, in that in that in that essay he's talking about how things seem to repeat themselves in history but are not necessarily repeating themselves as much as people dress themselves up in images, words, ideas of the past mm. to seem not only appealing and, and understandable to the modern world but also to borrow some of the power of the past, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, God, yeah, there's a line in that that's something like <laughs> the traditions of the past weigh on the brain like a nightmare or something <laughs> like that. That's really awesome. Anyway, <laughs> so I was thinking like Concatervator is just this kind of weird heap of stuff that is put together and kind of animated by the apple that's inside of it. And it's kind of like this force for violent change that will one day crack open and make a paradise, you know? Okay. Which lots of times in many cultures and points throughout history, there's people telling you that the means justify the end. Well, it's and, kind of like uh, the rapture. <laughs> or, or just kind of like a, a horrible strongman leader who says we have to kill a lot of people now yeah. for the future. Every leader, every horrible leader has fallen into that. So I was just thinking that the concatervator is just in some ways a pile of these old ideas that are reanimated to mm -hmm. kind of commit this violence and this horrible stuff to uh, for that promise of, of this utopia but you know even the utopia that's promised in that comic is pretty horrible i mean it's <laughs> you know yeah I... so yeah i guess that's what that is <laughs> so if people have a problem and think alex is too pretentious there uh you can find him on twitter i'm only i'm only quoting Karl marx on a comics podcast dude <laughs> <laughs> Well, 15, I, that's what's that what's going on i am actually surprised i haven't had more people quote Karl marx on the, <laughs> on the podcast i've done it for you know nearly 10 years and i would be happy if i had more people quoting Karl marx not necessarily a marxist as much as marxist theory 
does tend to resonate among a lot of other things and hold uh, some good uh, academic yes, weight. There's a lot of good writing in there. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, thank you, Alex, for oh, joining me today. Yeah. Thanks. This thanks for having me. And thanks for listening, whoever's still listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you have more questions for Alex about his uh, opinions of Marxist theory, uh, <laughs> he will be appearing at TCAF this coming weekend. Um, do you have your own table, or you just if that's what happens if there's just a line going around the block and people are like, "I want to talk about dialectics," and I'll be like, "Believe me, I have no idea." <laughs> I went to college a long time ago. I don't even remember. <laughs> uh, what's your opinion on materialism? No, not that materialism. <laughs> I um, love <laughs> uh, Do you have your own table or you have a table or are you going to be just signing at the Koyama table? I'll be signing the Koyama table, but I think I'll probably try to elbow in on somebody else's table. You know, that's something I should figure out considering that's in a week. Yeah, I'll, but I'll definitely be signing at the Koyama table. And nice. I think I'm also going to be speaking at a panel about superheroes in alternative comics, and I hope I have something interesting to say. Oh, good luck with that one. Okay. <laughs> um, and are you part of that book launch that's happening there, or is that other folks? Those are other folks, but I'll be there. Okay, there we go. So if you want to get drunk and ask Alex questions about dialectical materialism, you can... You're talking about the there. 2D cloud, youth in decline. Yeah, I thought there might be a Koyama thing in there, too. I can't remember. No, but I can recommend all the books that those guys have. Yes. That I mean, are good. Well, so you should go to that if you're in Toronto. There we go. And then no other comic fests coming up? Not that I can think of, but I'll probably be at Comics Arts Brooklyn in fall if that's happening. Nice. I don't know if I'll have anything new, but I'd like to hang out there. Well, your book will be five months old, so I'm sure oh, you'll sure. have that to feature there. So yeah. that would be good. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Alex. Yeah, thanks for having me. And um, don't forget, folks, we'll be launching our Kickstarter on uh, the comic that eats other comics. <laughs>
mes côtés J'ai pas su La retenir Je ne veux Qu'un seul Mot à lui dire Je t'aime 